but they're, we're in this series, Navigate. They did a great job. Pa- if you were here, Pastor Adam, Pastor Jonathan both started their sermons. I love how they started their sermons. They're talking to us about their backpacking adventures, right? They're, they're both hikers and they like to backpack. How many like to backpack and hike in here? Anybody? Like three of you. That's awesome, right? Yeah, I mean, it was like, if you weren't here, you need to go listen to it. Like one of them's gonna go backpacking with the wolves. I mean, it's really cool, right? It sounds dangerous. I used to like to backpack, Right? I used to like to backpack, and then I got married, right? <laughs> and our version of backpacking is this. We like to travel, but, but our version of backpacking is this. We pack the things in the back of the car. That's what we do. And we like to travel where preferably there's no wolves. Can I get an amen on that? Yeah. And our idea of roughing it is does the hotel have a hot breakfast or a cold breakfast? That's what we look for, right? But I love to travel. How many love to travel? Anybody love to travel? I love to travel, right? And, and, and love to travel. I've been to some cool places, Argentina, Haiti, been, been to Mexico, been to Puerto Rico. Those were cool. Love being in those places. This summer, my wife and I are hoping we get away uh, for a little vacation. And one of the places that I really want to see this summer is Billy Graham's library. So we're hoping we can stop by there and kind of visit. I like to travel. I like to go different places. Here's what I know about traveling. We all have a different relationship with traveling. And I've talked to enough people in my office to realize that we feel differently in this room about travel. I have people come to my office, they hate to travel. That might be you. Don't raise your hand. You may hate to travel. I have people come in my office and this is what they'll say. I ain't never been out of Ohio is what they'll say to me, right? Like I'm, I've never been outside of the state of Ohio. Like, Why haven't you been out of Ohio? At least go to Pennsylvania, right? Why haven't, I don't like to travel is what they'll say. Too difficult. Don't want to go through the bother. Don't want to plan. I just like being at home. Some of you are like that, right? Others of us, our relationship with traveling is this way. When we travel, we always go to the same place, right? Always, always the same place. We always visit the same attractions. We always eat at the same restaurants. We always, you could almost do your vacation with your eyes closed. Like I talk to people, they're Disney World people. Any Disney World people in here? Anybody? Yeah, sorry. Like we always go to Disney World. We know where we're going, what we're doing, how to do it and all that. You always go to the same places. Others of you, you like adventure. And so you don't like the same thing twice. You like to go to new places. You like to travel and have an adventure and plan it out and see new things, experience new people, all that kind of stuff. You're saying, Dan, why are you talking about traveling? Here's why. Listen, listen, listen. Because that's exactly how we approach the Bible. You're saying, what do you mean, Dan? Well, some of you are adventuresome when it comes to the Bible. Some of you in the room, a room this size, you've been reading the Bible for years. Some of you have been reading through it for years, right? And you like to to do Bible studies and explore and learn new things and go new places and rip it apart and underline it and dog ear and all that. You are adventuresome. Others of you, though, if you're honest, right? Others of you, if you're really honest, you read the Bible, but you like to go to the same places, like you have your favorite story. You have your favorite verse. When somebody asks you about the Bible, you're like, my favorite verse is I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You're like, I, that's my spot. I like to go there. And you feel comfortable there, right? And then there's others, and we just want to be honest, and I'm glad you're here if this is you. But there's others of us here today that we just don't travel in the Bible. We don't read the Bible because like it's too much trouble. It's too hard. I don't understand it. I'm paralyzed by it. You see, that's why we're doing this series. This series is all about navigating this library of books that some of you have in your hands, some of you have in your phones, and if you don't have one, take the one in the chair, but this library of books called the Bible. And what, when we're looking at this library of books called the Bible, we're saying, how do we navigate this? Because Adam taught us this, that we can trust it, that we can trust our Bible, and the Bible points to a person, Jesus. But the question we asked last week, and if you were here, you know this, we asked, 
Well, then why should I read it? Because here's the truth. This is just the truth. This is not to make anybody feel bad. This is just the truth. We have more Bibles than ever. We own more Bibles than ever. There are more kinds of Bibles than ever. Study Bibles, superhero Bibles, different versions of the Bible, all kinds of Bibles, right? And yet we read it less than ever. The statistic we said was in America, right? In America, 48% of Americans are Bible users. And at first, when you read that, you're like, man, that's pretty good. That's better than I thought. And then you realize by Bible users, here's what they mean. A Bible user is somebody who engages with the Bible outside of a Sunday or weekend service at least three or four times a year. And all of a sudden, you're like, wow. And so we engage in the question, why in the world should we read the Bible? And here's the point. If you weren't here last week, I want you to go listen. Pastor Jonathan did a great job. But why read the Bible? Here's why I read the Bible. Maybe not for the reasons you think. I can't know God apart from turning on the light of his word. We live in a day and age when people have strong opinions about who God is, and yet very few are even turning on the light of God's word to get the truth of who he is. All kinds of people are saying, this is what God's like. This is who God is. I think God would do this. And yet God says, well, you know, I kind of gave you a light. If you just turn that on, I'll let you know who I am. And beyond that, I can't know who I am without the Bible. It's a mirror. shows me the truth of who I am. It contains the seed that gives me life. Here's the point. I'm going to say this, and and listen, don't put this on social media unless you explain it because people won't understand it, right? The Bible, listen close. Everybody lean in. The Bible doesn't save you. The Bible doesn't save you. The Bible contains the message, the seed truth message of Jesus that can save us. That's what it contains. But then it's the food when we say yes to Jesus that helps us grow up to become like Jesus. And so it's the food I nourish my life with so that I become like Jesus. It's the sword I fight Satan with. It's the foundation for the storm. Why read the Bible? I'm in deep weeds if I don't read the Bible. God said, turn the light on, look in the mirror, build a foundation, grab a sword, eat some food. That's why I read the Bible. So here's the deal, okay, here's the deal. If I'm not reading the Bible, can I encourage you this way? I would encourage you to begin reading the Bible, but here's the question for today. Here's the question for today. What if I read it wrong? Because some of us have never read the Bible, and the fear is, what if I'm reading the Bible wrong? Now listen, 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 I'm going to be tender about this. Some of us have read the Bible for years, can I just say this, and we're reading it Wrong. You're saying, Dan, what do you mean? Listen, listen, listen. We read all kinds of things wrong. You ever read something wrong? And when you read something wrong, it can be dangerous. It can get you lost. Just think about it. We read all kinds of things wrong. You're saying, Dan, help me understand. I'd be glad to. Friday. Friday uh, was a very busy day here. Very busy. It's been a busy couple days, months, right? Friday, we had a couple people in the hospital, and, um, and, and, and so I said to, to Aiden, I said, listen, he was going to go. I said, I'm, I'm going to go. Why don't you ride with me? Aiden and I go to the hospital together. So we're going to go into Akron together. Anybody realize Akron's all tore up? Anybody realize that? Like, you can't get anywhere. There's not a road construction sign, right? I'm so glad those guys are doing hard work on the roads, but it's all tore up, and so we're having to navigate back roads to get to the hospital and whatever and whatnot. We get into the hospital, visit these couple people, and, and one of the patients was having trouble. They said, can you step out? And that's when Aiden told me, he said, we looked at our watch, and it was in the afternoon, and time's the tick, and he said, hey, listen, I promised my wife... I would get something at the store, and the store is in Talmadge, and the store closes at five. 
I said, what were you planning on doing? He said, I was hoping that you would take me back to the church and I could get in my car and get there before five. I looked at that young man. I said, I'm going to save your marriage right now. That's what I'm going to do, right? I don't need another counseling appointment, right? I said, when we get done here, after we visit these people, we're going to go to Talmadge and get this so that your wife is happy with you. He said, okay, let's do that. I said, okay, let's go. So we got back in the car after we got done visiting. We had about 20, 25 minutes to get to Talmadge. I've been to Talmadge. Many of you have been to Talmadge. I've never been to Talmadge with all that road construction in Akron and figuring out how I'm going to get to Talmadge. So I say to Aiden, I said, navigate. You're a millennial. Grab your phone. I'd be happy to, Dan. Just follow my directions. Great. Let's go. Off we go, Pastor Aiden and I. We're going to go to Talmadge, save his marriage, get what his wife needs from the store before it closes at five. We get in the car, and I've been to Talmadge. I kind of know my way to Talmadge. We begin going to Talmadge. All of a sudden, we get to this place in the road, and I said, Aiden, which way? He said, turn right. I said, Aiden, that don't feel right. I think we got to turn left. He said, Dan, listen to me. We got to turn right. I said, it feels like we got to turn left. Talmadge feels left. He said, Dan, turn right. I said, brother, you're navigating. You got the tool. I said, I'm going to turn right. We turned right. I said, Aiden, I think we're going the wrong way. He said, Yep, we should have turned left, is what he said. <laughs> they read all kinds of things wrong, right? Yeah, you know that. And, and, and when you read something wrong, you get lost. It can have devastating effects, right? You ever read an email? You read it all wrong because you can't hear the tone of their voice? You ever read an email? Yeah, happens, right? You ever read just a part of a paragraph but didn't read the rest of it? It's like, oh, I misunderstood what you were talking about. You ever read mail that wasn't intended for you? Anybody do that? Yeah, yeah, you read mail that wasn't intended for you, you're going to read something all wrong. Some of you know this, some of you don't, but uh, here in Summit County, there's a really cool thing happening. Restore Ministries, which we in our last vision campaign came alongside, is an in-house residential treatment program for for men who are addicted to alcohol, drugs, and things of that nature. Christ-centered, gospel-centered, so excited about it. It's gaining lots of traction, and they're getting ready to sprout. But, but what you may not know is that the individual who is leading that effort, his name is Dan Gregory. If you don't know me, my name is Dan Gregory. Oh, by the way, it gets better. His wife's name is Jennifer. If you don't know my wife, my wife's name is Jennifer. You may not know this, but Dan Gregory and his wife Jennifer both went to the same college that I went to. I never met them in college. I was a freshman. They were seniors. They were engaged. I wasn't dating. But I have a sister. Her name is Stephanie. And so when I'm a freshman at Grace College, they're seniors engaged. My sister, whose name is Stephanie, wants to mess with me. So she sends me a card from Pennsylvania. And this card from Pennsylvania, she wants to make it look like it came from my girlfriend back in Pennsylvania. So it's got lipstick all over it, smelly, all perfumed up. It's got all these lovey-dovey little phrases on it. You know, I love you. I miss you. Can't wait to be with you. Can't wait to hug you. And she sends me this card. And it comes to Grace College. It's addressed to Dan Gregory. When it comes to the mail... They place it in Dan Gregory's box. It just so happens they place it in the other Dan Gregory's box. Can I get an amen on that? And it just happened to be the day his fiancee Jennifer went to get his mail. Can I tell you, they had a problem that afternoon. (laughs) 
You see, here's the thing. We read all kinds of things wrong, right? It wasn't intended for him. And it's one thing when you read your mail wrong. It's one thing when you read a map wrong, but when you read the Bible wrong, it can have devastating impact. Because when we read the Bible wrong, quite frankly, we can miss the treasure, we can get lost. And I want to tell you something. Many of us have, maybe even are reading the Bible wrong. I have read the Bible wrong. And some of you maybe are, and so we want to talk about that. Because reading the Bible wrong has led to abuses of the Bible. Did you know that? That the Bible, people have used the Bible to justify hate, discrimination, even to start wars. And so if I read the Bible wrong, I can abuse it and use it to justify all kinds of things. Some people that have read the Bible wrong misuse the Bible. And so what I do when I misuse the Bible is I pull out a random verse and I throw them at a circumstance. I'm really worrying, so I'm going to find a verse about worry, and I look up worry in the back, and it's like, be anxious about nothing. Don't worry about anything. I feel better. I almost like treat the Bible like Xantax, and it's like, I feel better now. It relieves what ails me. Some of us, when we read the Bible, read it like a magic eight ball. Anybody know that? That might age myself there, right? You shake it up, and it gives you the answer, right? And so that's how some of us read the Bible. Like, who should I date? Jesus looked up and saw Peter. Peter, that's who it'll be, right? What color should I dye my hair, right? Like, blessed are the bald, right? That's how I read the Bible. There's no verse like that. Somebody asked me that earlier. But we, re- we misuse the Bible, and we're like, man, maybe that's how God wants me to use the Bible, and it confuses us. We're not sure how to navigate it, and so some of us refuse to use it. So for a few brief moments, I want to talk about how to read your Bible. Now, let me give you the bad news and then the good news. This whole idea of how to read the Bible, there's a big, long word you can impress your friends with. It. In fact, if you want to know this kind of stuff, you ought to write it down. It's called the, the idea of hermeneutics, the art and science of interpreting written text. When I was in graduate school, this was a whole semester. I simply want to take 25 minutes and talk to you about hermeneutics. I'll never use that word again this morning, I promise you. But I want to talk to you about four things, four things that if you'll write them down somewhere in your Bible, on your notes, they will help you read your Bible They will help you read your Bible. They will help your Bible begin to come alive. And for some of us, they'll correct the way we're reading our Bible. First and foremost comes from something Pastor Adam taught us the very first week. And that's found in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Look what it says. It says, From infancy you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then this yellow part is so important. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. How do I read my Bible? Here's how I read my Bible. Number one, I want you to write this down. God is the ultimate author. Adam taught us this. I need to learn to listen to God. You're saying, Dan, that doesn't sound very profound. Let me explain it to you. I come to the Bible to hear from God. Please stay with me. What I'm getting ready to tell you will change the way some of you read the Bible. Quite frankly, what I'm getting ready to talk to you about will explain why some of you are frustrated with reading your Bible. I come to the Bible to hear from God. God is the ultimate author. It is ultimately his book. It's about him. So the question I need to ask myself Am I listening to God? I need to ask myself, am I a good listener? 
listen, don't, don't look at anybody, but you ever been with somebody who's not a good listener? You ever been around somebody who's not a good listener? Don't look at them, but you ever been around somebody like that? Like, like, like they make eye contact and they wait for you to be done, but you can tell that they're just listening until they get a chance to somehow take what you said so that they can say what they want to say. You ever been around somebody like that? Like they just want to get something out. And so whatever you're saying, they're listening to it only so that they can say what they want to say. That's how many people approach the Bible. We come to the Bible and instead of listening to God and what he has to say, we listen to it so that somehow we can eventually say what we want to say. And the Bible is ultimately about God. The Bible is ultimately all about God. The Bible is a revealing of his story. Listen, the Bible is ultimately God revealing his story to us. Listen, listen, listen. This is going to change the way this might even, some of you might be frustrated with what I'm going to say. The Bible is ultimately God revealing his story to us. It's not primarily simply a manual of morals for your story. Hello. The Bible is ultimately a library of books that outlines the story of God, and he invites us into his story. The problem we have with the Bible is when we approach it and we think it's all about our story, and I wonder if I could shake a few things out to add God into my story. The Bible is me coming to it and saying, this is ultimately about God. This is ultimately his story. Guys, it's, it's like this. I don't know if this will even make sense to you, but, but I try all kinds of ways. I want this to make sense. It's ultimately like if I were to show up in the middle of a Broadway play on a Broadway stage, if I were to show up while the play is taking place and, 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 and in the middle of a Broadway stage and I'm in the middle of the stage and all these actors are around and these plays are going on and if I showed up and somehow thought that instead of being on a Broadway stage, I was on a Burger King drive through where I wanna order things and have it my way. If somehow that's how I approach it, I'm gonna miss the beauty of the play. When I come to the Bible, God, the stage, the the play is going on, and I get the opportunity to engage with that and understand the story of God and the part that he invites me to play. It's not me coming to a Burger King drive-thru and saying, I want it my way. Listen, listen, listen. I want to say this tenderly, but, but... But when I'm dead and gone, the one thing that I hope is that, that, that many of you will begin engaging in this book and read it in color, not black and white, and then it'll begin to pop. The Bible, listen, I'm, I'm not trying to pick. The Bible is not primarily just basic instructions before leaving earth. And that sounds kind of cool. It makes a cool bumper sticker. And if you have it, it's cool. It's fine. But it's primarily God's book about his story and how he invites us into that story. The Bible, listen, 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 is not primarily chicken soup for my soul. Kind of shake out some inspirational things, make me feel warm and fuzzy. The Bible is this, this sovereign, holy, powerful God who's writing his story, and it's ultimately about him. This is why some of us are frustrated with our Bibles, because we keep shaking it for something that's going to I'm trying to invite God into my life. A little bit of God in there and make things better. And God's like, do you understand that I got this big thing going on and I'm trying to invite you into something that's way bigger than you ever dreamed? I just want God to make me happy. 
God's like, wait a minute, you're missing the Broadway play. The Bible's ultimately about God, but not only that, not only that, this, what we call the Bible, is not a book, it's a library of books. It's written by God, it's for God, it's from God, but he used human authors. This is key. Look, look what Pastor Adam taught us. Above all, understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things, for prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Here, I, wanna, I want you to get this, okay? In this library of books are 66 books written by more than 40 different authors. In here are books that have been written by kings and peasants, doctors, fishermen, prisoners, preachers, persecutors of the church, those who were persecuted, uneducated, educated, rich, poor. Some of these books were written in the desert, in jail, various places. Some of them written to churches, individuals, whole nations. What's the point? I want you to write this down. God used real people writing to real audiences in real circumstances. God used real, and I say, Dan, why is that important? Well, for several reasons. One is the Bible is very relatable. So when you read it, there's real people talking to real audiences in real circumstances. But, but there's something more important you gotta get that if your Bible is gonna begin to make sense to you, you have to hear what I'm gonna say. The most important thing when you're reading the Bible Okay, I'm going to bust up some Bible studies right now, okay? Just stay with me. Is when I sit around with a group of people and I read a passage and then I look and say, hey, what's this mean to you? That's not the most important question. The most important question in reading my Bible is what does this mean? Not simply, hey, what's this mean to you? Because if I sit around with 15 different people and 15 different people, hey, you know, I think this kind of means this to me. I think this kind of means this to me. I think this kind of means this to me. And then I have 15 different ideas. And the question is, maybe I never got to what it really means. You see, that's why the context of a verse is so important. You gotta write this down somewhere. A text without a context is a, pre- a pretext for a proof text. You say, Dan, I don't understand what that means. Let me say it this way. Ready, ready? I can use the Bible to prove or justify just about anything. I just have to take verses out of context and kind of throw them out there, and I can use the Bible to prove or justify or rationalize just about anything. We do it all the time, right? Because a verse sounds good. You're saying, Dan, help me understand. I'm happy to, but, but before we flash the screen, Mike, you guys love me? Just shake your head. Just, just shake your head. I got to know I'm okay. Just shake your head. Nobody's shaking their head. Like, I'm going to blow up some of y'all's plaques at home, okay? Thank you. One person. I appreciate that. I'll keep going. Jeremiah 29, 11. I love this passage, right? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you and plans to give you a hope and a future. That is like so familiar, so powerful. It's like on many of our plaques on an Afghan or whatever it is, you know, it's like, I love it. It's like, woo, man. And, and we know nothing about the context of the verse because that particular passage was written to a group of people that were in exile in Babylon. And what God is saying is it's tough right now. It's really, really hard right now, but I'm a God who keeps my promises. And it's not going to get better today, tomorrow, but I'm going to tell you something, hang on. And some of us, we put it on a plaque, and we're like, yeah, you know, and we feel good about it. And like, we don't know what was the original. What is God saying? 
Oh, you're not with me? Let me show you this one. I think this is the most abused one in the New Testament. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Paul did not write that before a football game. Can I get an amen on that? Yeah. It's like, what in the world is he talking about here? Paul wrote that from jail. Paul wrote that from jail. And he said, you know something? Even in the middle of this jail, I know that if Christ is with me, it's not fair that I'm here. It's not right that I'm here. But I can do all things through Christ. He's the one who gives me strength. You see, the point is is this, is that God used real people writing to real audiences, and the first thing I gotta do is say, what does the text or the passage mean? And then I can say, so what? What are the implications to me? Now what do I do with that? Which leads to this last thing. God didn't just use real people writing to real audiences in real circumstances. I want you to write this down. But he used different kinds of literature. The library of books called the Bible was written in three languages on three continents in all kinds of circumstances over 1,500 years. There's beautiful poetry, there's sermons, there's songs, there's historical accounts, parables, prophecies, love letters, stories, correspondence. What's, what's the point? Let's make the point and let's, let's go on. You don't read a poem the same way you read a biography. You wouldn't read Edgar Allan Poe the same way you would read a biography of George Washington right? You wouldn't read a recipe card the same way that you might read a love story. What's the point? You read different kinds of literature different. So key. In this library of books are poems and love stories and historical accounts and prophecies. And so I want to somehow, what am I reading? Because I want to make sure I understand what I'm reading so that I know how to read it. It is ultimately about God. It is all about God. He used real people. What is he saying? What does it mean? What is the kind of literature that he's using? It's what caused Paul to say this to Timothy. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Okay, everybody look here. And then I got, I got a roll, baby. Look here. It's ultimately authored by God. The first thing, if I'm gonna read my Bible correctly, I need to learn to listen to God. I, I, it, it's not like just pick and choose. It's not like chicken soup for the soul. God is writing a story. Second thing Pastor Adam taught, and it's found in two particular passages. I just wanna show them to you, and then I wanna make the point. John 5. Jesus is talking to some religious leaders. He said, you study the scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. And yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Luke 24, after he rose from the dead, how foolish you are, talking to two guys on Emmaus Road, how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. I want you to write this down. I want to flesh it out. Ready? Here we go. If I'm going to read the Bible right, I need to listen to God, ultimate author, and then I realize Jesus is the central character. And so when I read the Bible, I'm always looking for Jesus, or I'm going to miss the point of the Bible. Jesus is the point of the Bible. It points to him. It's about him. 
it's as silly as if I read a book about, like I just read a book. Anybody read the book Team of Rivals? Raise your hand. Anybody in this room? Team of Rivals? Nobody. You ought to read it. It's about, anybody know who it's about? Nobody. It's about, well, what if I read that book and told you that it had incredible leadership principles? It's an incredible book. I loved the book. And what if you came to me and said, who was it about? And what if I looked at you and said, I have no idea? You'd be like, did you really read it? It's a book all about Abraham Lincoln. You ought to read it. He was an incredible leader. It's an incredibly long book, but it's a good book. But if I read that book and didn't know who the book was about, you'd be like, wow, did you really read the book? The book points me to a person. When it comes to the Bible, I'm going to miss the whole point if I miss Jesus. The Bible front to back somehow points me to Jesus. You're saying, it does, Dan? Because I've read parts of the Old Testament. I don't see Jesus. Listen, in Genesis, Jesus is there at creation. John 1, he's the word that spoke. In the garden, Jesus is the seed of the woman that's going to crush the serpent's head. In Genesis chapter 12, Jesus is the promised one who was promised to Abraham through the one that is going to cause blessing for all the nations. In the Old Testament, the law, you ever read the Old Testament and read the law and it's like, that's crazy? You ever read Leviticus and you're like, I'm lost, right? It's like, why is all that stuff in there? Because if you read the law, you begin to realize, I can't do this. That's the point. I need Jesus. Do you ever read the Old Testament and there's all this crazy stuff going on? It's like they're killing lambs and sheep and like, what's happening? All of a sudden you get to John and you realize that when Jesus comes walking down the street, they say, behold the lamb of God. It points to Jesus. It's a picture of Jesus. Who are the, the guy those prophets are talking about? It's Jesus. You get to the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they tell about the life, death, resurrection of Jesus. In the book of Acts, it tells about the people of Jesus becoming the church of Jesus, moving out with the message of Jesus to the uttermost part of the earth. You get to the epistles, the rest of it, it's written to the people of Jesus about living in their identity of Jesus, becoming more and more like Jesus. And when you get to Revelation, it talks about the coming again of Jesus. It is all about Jesus. So when I read the Bible, I take this journey. If I don't see Jesus, I miss the point. So if I'm going to read my Bible right, I got to start with God. He's the ultimate author and realize this book is about him. And there's this grand story he's trying to tell. I got to realize that the central character, sometimes when I read the Bible, I read it as though I'm the central character. I know you never do, but I have as though somehow I'm the central character in the book. And yet the central character in the book is Jesus. And if I don't somehow see Jesus, I've missed the point of the book, which leads to two more things and we're done. And I want you to write them down. Because I think one of these things is very confusing. And for some of you, I think you've been confused by it. The third thing I would say, if you're gonna read your Bible right, is this, the Holy Spirit is the primary guide. I need to learn to follow the Spirit. I want you to write it down, then let's make an observation. The Holy Spirit is the primary guide I need to learn to follow the Spirit. Can we just say this, that the Holy Spirit is a confusing part of the Bible and the Trinity and the God and all that kind of stuff? It's like, it can be confusing. I got people come and say, I don't understand this Holy Spirit, and particularly when you call him the Holy Ghost, like it gets even creepier, right? It's like, what's that about, right? And can, can we say this? I'd like for you to, uh, to acknowledge that, that the Holy Spirit 
gets blamed for a lot of crazy stuff. Can we at least acknowledge that? Like, I'll have people come in my office, and this is what they'll say, like, Dan, the Holy Spirit told me. And I'm like, yeah, dude, that was not the Holy Spirit told you to do that, right? Like, I meet a lot of people, and they're like, I want to hear God audibly speak to me through the Holy Spirit. I love something that a guy named John Piper said. This is my word right now. He said, if you want to hear God speak, read the Bible. If you want to hear God speak audibly, read it out loud. Is what he says. I love that, right? The Holy Spirit is the guide that uses the word of God to speak to us. Jesus is the one that taught us this. The primary place that he taught us is in John 14 through 16. Let me show you a couple things and it'll help you understand the Holy Spirit's role in this. John 15, 26. Let's throw it on the screen and let's make sense of it. When the advocate comes who I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, that's the Holy Spirit who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. I want you to write this down. The way I'm gonna know I'm following the Holy Spirit is this. The Holy Spirit always makes a big deal about Jesus, always. You're saying, Dan, why are you saying that? Because I will meet people that are like, I wanna feel more of the Holy Spirit. I wanna have this little special gift, this little sign. I wanna be able to do this. And here's the deal. When I think of the Holy Spirit that way, I become the big deal or the sign becomes the big deal. The Holy Spirit always makes a big deal about Jesus. If I read the Bible and somehow Jesus isn't the big deal, I probably am not following the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's job is to shine the lights bright on Jesus. How does he do that? Well, let me show you. John 16. Jesus says, unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I'll send him to you. And when he, the Holy Spirit comes, look at this, He will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin because people don't believe in me. About righteousness because I'm going to the Father where you can no longer see me. And about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Here's the point. The Holy Spirit is about convicting of sin. The root of sin is not believing the truth about Jesus. That's worth writing down. We're going to talk about it in a couple weeks. The root of sin is not believing the truth about Jesus. The secret of righteousness is found in Jesus. The power to defeat Satan is found in Jesus. The Holy Spirit is always pointing to Jesus, which leads to this. Jesus said then later in John 16, I have much more to say, more than you can now bear, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. Everybody listen, we're almost done. Look look here. The Holy Spirit, if I'm following the Holy Spirit, I'm on the move. Something is changing. Something's moving. I'm going to say that again. If I'm following the Holy Spirit, he's making a big deal about Jesus in my life through his word, and something is moving. He will guide you. It's what led Paul to say this, Galatians 5. So I say, walk by the Spirit. And when you walk, follow the Spirit, look at what it says, then the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things there's no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, he says, keep in step with the Spirit. He's saying, how do I know I'm following the Spirit? I want you to write this down. The Holy Spirit leads to life transformation, not just trivial information. 
The Holy Spirit is a guide, and his job is to make a big deal about Jesus. And as he leads me through his word, I know I'm following the Holy Spirit when my life is transforming. That's what Paul was saying. He says, keep following the Spirit. And if you keep following the Spirit, he's going to convict you of sin, things that you need to confess, things that you need to get get rid of in your life. He's going to convict you of your sin. And when that happens, he's going to say, confess your sin, and there's forgiveness. And then he's going to lead you into truth. He's going to lead you into truth, which means take steps of faith. Here's what I need to ask myself. As I read the Bible, am I just gaining more facts, or am I producing more fruit that looks like Jesus? Am I simply gaining more facts? I, I'm somebody who knows a lot about the Bible. Or am I producing fruit? Everybody look here. I want to be tender about this. Some of you have known Jesus for a long time. And the longer I know Jesus and the more I know about Jesus, the crankier I should not get. <laughs> Can I get an amen? Be careful. Yeah. It's like the more that I read and follow the Spirit and His leading, the more I become like Christ. The truth of the matter is, is that I've been around people who know the Bible better than you and me put together. They can lead through the the charts in the back. They know the answers to all the questions, and yet they're cranky. There's no kindness. There's no love. They don't prefer others. There's no patience. They're not following the Spirit. Because the Spirit leads us to life, what? Transformation. So here's the deal. If I want to read my Bible, I need to start by listening to God. It's all about Him. I need to begin looking for Jesus. He's the central character. And then I need to follow the Spirit. It always calls for me to be on the move. There's things I need to get rid of, and there's things I need to walk into. There's things I need to walk away from, and there's places I need to walk towards. Which is very interesting to me, because when I think about the Holy Spirit being a God, last thing, we're done. Is that he's on the move. This is more like a movement than a lecture. Which means reading the Bible is a lifetime adventure. It's a lifetime adventure. And when I think about a lifetime adventure, I think about it in in several ways. Imagine, imagine, just for sake of example, one place that I would love to go is Alaska. Anybody ever, anybody ever been to Alaska? Raise your hand. Yeah, I'm jealous, right? I'd love to go to Alaska. Imagine I had the opportunity to go to Alaska and spend three months traveling Alaska, seeing all of Alaska. Just imagine that, all right? Let's just dream for a minute. Imagine I came back and I, I looked at you and said, Sean, you, you got, man, Alaska's awesome. Like, you've got to know about Alaska. Like, like, Sean, I want you to experience Alaska. I want you to know Alaska. I want you to be able to see what I saw, to be able to experience what I experienced. Imagine I looked at Sean and I said, Sean, there's two different ways you can do that. One is this. I took 10,000 pictures while I was there. You come over to my house with a bowl of ice cream and I'll show you all 10,000 pictures. And you can see Alaska. Or, imagine I looked at Sean, and I said, or, I've secured the way for you, all expenses paid, to go with me in a group of people 
for a month, two months to Alaska. Chances are, all of us in this room, if we were able to do it, would choose the second option. Why? Because there's something about being there, smelling the smells, seeing the sights, experiencing the people. There's something about going in a group together that all of a sudden we share the community of the adventure together, and that's how you read the Bible. It is a lifetime adventure, and if I'm going to read the Bible, I need to learn to travel in a group. God gave us his word, and it is a lifetime adventure that he invites us on. It's not a slideshow, a PowerPoint presentation that we come and watch. It makes me think of three, three things. First is this. God gives us tour guides on this adventure. Ephesians 4, Christ gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ can be built up, reach all unity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God, so that they become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Let me say it this way for the sake of time. My job and the job of others who teach, Pastor Jonathan, Adam, Aiden, others who teach up here, is not to show you a slideshow of our adventure. That's not our job. But my job and their job is to be a tour guide. And as tour guides, our job is to invite you to explore further this lifelong journey of God's story. He's saying, what do I do with that? Listen, I want to challenge you. I want to give you a challenge, okay? Can I do that? Some of you, I, here's my challenge. We're going to start a series next week called Long Story Short. We're going to spend six weeks on the big story of the Bible. The Bible in six acts. I want you to come to all six weeks. For some of you, are like, I don't come every week. That's For this six, can I double dog challenge you and dare you to come? Because I want to be a tour guide. And I want to somehow give you the big picture of the Bible so that when you jump into this adventure, it's something that all of a sudden it's like, oh, wow, who knew? Who knew? I want you to invite somebody else to come with you. Invite them to come with you. You see, our job is to be tour guides. I love being one of your tour guides. Can I just say that? Like, I love the opportunity to be a tour guide. But God says something else, and that's this. On this lifetime adventure, he encourages us to travel together. Hebrews chapter 10 says, Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. All he's saying is this, is that he wants us to travel together. He wants us to go on this adventure together, to learn together, to discover together, to see things together, to see things that we wouldn't see unless somebody else was with us. Here's my challenge, ready? Everybody look here. Okay, I'm gonna just get practical. There's no big song at the end, no emotional plea, none of that. Every series, we put out a little personal study guide. The next series is called Long Story Short. The study guide is done. It's available in the back downstairs. My challenge to you is to grab one of those this week, and for the six weeks of this series, invite somebody, invite somebody to spend one hour each week for the next six weeks going through this with you. 
in here, we put some questions you can ask each other, some things that you can read. But somebody at work, maybe it's your neighbor, maybe it's your sister, maybe it's your, whatever, whoever, somebody that you can walk with for the next six weeks together, in long story short, they're available today. Last, and then I'm done, last is this. He gives us tour guides. He encourages us to travel together. And then God wants us to invite the next generation. Psalm 78. My people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. We will not hide them from their descendants. We'll tell them to the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power, the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob, established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children so that the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Everybody look here and I'm done, I promise. Okay? Got to be done. Okay? Everybody look here. I read a book called something along the lines of getting to know Generation Z. You got to look it up. You got to read it. Generation Z is the generation underneath of the millennials. So it's the youngest among us. Among Generation Z, the youngest among us, they did studies and surveys and all kinds of stuff and found that 4%, Everybody see what I got? 4%, not 40, 4% of Generation Z navigates life with a biblical worldview. 4%. You know what my fear is? Is in in churches, we say that stat and here's what we do. (sighs) Those young'uns. Everybody look here. You don't even have to agree with me. You can be wrong on this. It is not their fault. It is not their fault. What the psalmist is saying is that somehow we've been given this library of books, this adventure. It's all about God. It points to Jesus. The Spirit of God wants to guide us And our job as those that are older is to say, come on. Nothing cooler than dad inviting you on a backpacking trip, right? Adventure. Nothing cooler than a dad who would take his girl and say, come on, let's go on this adventure together. Nothing cooler than a church full of people who will say, I want to be a part of teaching young kids. I want to be a part of investing some of the people that, that, that I have met who have the deepest, most profound understanding of God's word are those who are able to teach it to children. It's not those who can explain all the maps and explain all the answers to all the questions and like they're the deep teachers. You want to know, you know where depth comes from? Is when somebody can open this book, look at a kid and say, let's listen to God. Did you see Jesus? Let's follow the Spirit. Father, we're done. You gave us a library of books. I want to say in front of my friends, thanks for allowing me to go on this adventure with them, be a tour guide, but I pray that I would simply be a tour guide, that my friends, Jonathan, Adam, Aiden, Joel, others would just be a tour guide. Greg, we'd be tour guides. I pray that in this room you would whet an appetite for your word, that some today would start reading, 
that some today would pick up the study guide, that some today would commit to being here for the next six weeks, and that we would begin to see you and look for Jesus, and we'd be able to follow your spirit and become more like Christ, and that even as we did it together in a group, that we would know you better and know each other more. And so God help us, I pray. We love you. Thank you for not leaving us in the dark. I pray this all in Jesus' name.